0: Hi, this is Dr. Mercola, and welcome to our Take Control of Your Health podcast, in which we bring you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. This next interview is part of my Best Of series, which features some of the most popular interviews with leading health experts. So thank you for listening. Now, let's get started with this week's program to help you and your family take control of your health. We all know that our body runs on bioelectricity, but the devil's in the details. Wouldn't you like to know more about that? Hi, this is Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by a true pioneer in natural medicine, Dr. Jerry Tennant, who wrote the book Healing is Voltage. And he is trained as an ophthalmologist and has a very interesting personal story and journey on how he transitioned into natural health and how his health was almost, decimated by some challenges he's encountered and how he was able to turn that around. So welcome and thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So I I think many of our viewers would be interested in your personal journey. Uh, You're a board certified ophthalmologist and focused on treating eye diseases or had and still continue to do. In fact, I think what I was really intrigued with some of your work is that you can reverse the most common cause of blindness in the United States age-related macular degeneration within a few days, or at least start the process going. So we'll definitely get into that. So why don't we talk about your journey and how your health got debilitated?
1: Well, thank you very much. I always like to begin my uh, talks with a disclaimer that I'm speaking with my Arizona license and not my Texas medical license. Um, And if I may take just a moment to explain why that is. Um, People have the mistaken idea that if several universities discover that there's some new treatment that works for some illness, that doctors can immediately start using that, and it's simply not true. Uh, uh, Physicians, mainly physicians that work for pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies get together and create rules they call standard of care. So, all physicians are required to practice what's called standard of care medicine. So, if somebody finds something that works, physicians can't do that until uh, the, uh, enough money is paid to this group to say. So, uh, in some states like Texas, our medical boards do not allow Texas physicians to talk about anything that's not standard of care. And obviously, Things I'm going to talk about today aren't standard of care, so I have to use my, my Arizona license instead of my Texas license uh, in order to speak freely about this subject. Is that,
0: is that the homeopathic license?
1: Um, yeah, I have a an Arizona license by the Board of Integrative and Homeopathic Medicine in Arizona. Okay, great. So um, the um, my story actually begins when I started doing doing the research for the laser that's used in uh, LASIK surgery. And one of the things we didn't at the time was that the laser wouldn't kill viruses. So for example, um, there was a fellow came to me from India who had scarring on the front of his corneas and I was using the laser to simply carve those scars off to restore his vision. And at the time we didn't know that the laser wouldn't kill viruses. So when I carved those scars off, the fact that he had leukemia meant that he had those viruses in his cornea. They came up and went through my mask, through my nose, and into my brain, and I developed encephalitis. So I got to where I could see a patient, no know why a prescription. In addition, I developed spastic movements, so I would be sitting here and do something like this, which doesn't work really well if you're operating inside of somebody's eyeball. And so, for all of those reasons, I quit working at the end of November, 1995. And so, I um, uh, spent about the next seven years in bed, sleeping 16 hours a day. Uh, I went to the best and, docs I could find. I went.
0: Excuse me. Prior to this, you were funct- practicing conventional ophthalmology.
1: Yeah, I did a lot of cataract surgery, corneal surgery, etc. And so I was uh, happily being an ophthalmologist, and then all of a sudden I couldn't remember how to do it. Hmm. And so um, when I began to get sick, I uh, went to the best doctors I could find in uh, New York and, and Boston and so forth. And they all said, well, sorry, you have three viruses in your brain. We don't know what to do about it, so don't call us, we'll call you. And so I had two or three hours a day in which I could understand a newspaper and then like a light switch it would go off and I couldn't understand it anymore. So during those two or three hours a day I could think, I realized I had to figure out how to get myself well because no one else was going to do it. So I had the idea that if I could figure out how to make one cell work, I could make them all work. Because although they look different, they really all have the same component parts and just have different software. So I began to read cellular biology books, which I hadn't done for about 30 years. Um, And one of the things that resonated with me is that each of the cellular biology books would have anywhere from a sentence to a page that talked about the fact that cells must run at a pH between 7.35 and 7.45. Well, I didn't really know what that meant, except something about acid-base balance. So I began to tried to understand pH and began to, dis, to realize that pH is the name given to voltage in a liquid. So if you think about the voltage that runs these electric lights or this computer that we're using, that's called conductive. That means electrons are moving along a, a copper wire. But in a liquid, you have a different situation. A liquid can either be an electron donor or electron stealer. And so, by convention, if you if the liquid that you're interested in is an electron stealer, you put a plus sign in front of the voltage. And if it's electron donor, you put a minus sign in front of it. So, uh, you take a sophisticated voltmeter called a pH meter and put it in the liquid, and it will actually read out in voltage. And so, plus 400 millivolts is the same thing 400 millivolts of electron donor is the same thing as pH of 14 and of course if it's neutral it's pH of 7 so basically all of these uh, pH meters have a switch you can either switch it to read out in pH and read out in millivolts well it's obviously much easier to understand if you have a readout in millivolts because you really can better understand what's going on so if you look at what the cellular biology books all say, a pH of 7.35 is the same thing as minus 20 millivolts of electron donor. pH of 7.45 is minus 25 millivolts of electron donor. So cells are designed to run in an environment of minus 20 to minus 25 millivolts. Now, people get confused, particularly physicians, because you read that cells run at minus 90 millivolts well, if you take and put an electrode inside a cell and another electrode outside the cell and read across the cell membrane, then you'll get minus ninety. But the environment in which cells must run is minus twenty, minus twenty-five millivolts. So that was a critical piece of my understanding to begin to understand how to get myself well. The second thing. That and before, I we on, under- b- before we go on.
0: Before we go on, the second thing. Is this a conclusion you reached by investigating the cellular biology journals, or were there other investigators or physicians who had come to similar conclusions?
1: Well, I hadn't found people that had come to to the same conclusion, although there were many people who talk about the importance of pH in health. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't seen anybody who was really talking about voltage. They just said, well, you have to fix the pH. Okay. Well, to me, that was a nebulous idea. I mean, it has, it obviously has that it's about the voltage. Then you actually can get, at least I could get my hands around it, my mind around what it meant. When it just said, well, you know, fix pH or, you know, uh, eat uh, alkaline foods and all of that sort of thing. That was sort of nebulous to me. But when I began to get down to the rock bottom that cells require minus 25 millivolts to work and they require minus 50 millivolts to repair them when they wear out, all of a sudden that made a whole lot different. To me that was a different understanding than just saying eat alkaline foods. Okay. So the point that I also just included was it became Mm -hmm. obvious that cells need double the voltage to make new ones that is required to make one run. And so healing requires minus 50 millivolts. So the next obvious question was, okay, how do I measure it? Well, it turned out that Dr. Nakatani in Japan was the first person to use modern electronics to measure acupuncture meridians and he published his work in uh, uh, 1951. And Reinhold Voll in Germany did similar work and published it in 1952. So I was able to get uh, Dr. Nakatani's rather rudimentary uh, device and found that my brain was running in somewhere between 2 and 4 millivolts instead of the 25 that it needed to run and the 50 it needed to repair itself. And so now it was obvious why it didn't work. Was this device so,
0: the our uh, device? The
1: no, the Nakatani's device was basically an ohmmeter.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, and, of course, in the 50s, we didn't have really great electronics.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But when you get to an, an ohmmeter and measure the circuits, then you can see what the voltage is in those circuits. And so um, so now that you, that I began to understand that my brain didn't have enough voltage to work correctly, then that was really what started me on the journey of trying to figuring out how to get things to work again. Continue this story if you like, or you can ask me some questions.
0: No, I think you can continue because it really is a fascinating story. But before we continue, I, I want to insert here that. Uh, We are going to be lecturing together in Orlando in November, the first week of November, the first weekend. I think it's the first, second, or third, somewhere in there. And there will be two sets of lectures, one for professionals and then an open lectures for the uh, general public, which is most of the viewing audience for this video. So if you have any interest in this topic uh, or any interest in hearing me live, then I would strongly encourage you to attend the Orlando event and even potentially go down to some of the entertainment that is available in Orlando, like Disney World or Universal Studios. So uh, we would welcome your, your participation, and I think uh, you'll learn a lot, not from only myself and Dr. Tennant, but also uh, a number of other phenomenal speakers. And there'll be a link on this page that you can see who's, who exactly is speaking in all the details. So why don't you continue on with your
1: story? So, you know, Joe, you have to wear Mickey Mouse ears at that meeting. (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) All right. So so the reality then is once I discovered that my brain didn't have enough voltage to work, then all of a sudden things began to be more apparent to me about what I had to do to start getting myself well. And so I um, ran across some Russian work where Dr. Karazov had identified the waveform that would transfer electrons to cell membranes. Well, what I didn't know at the time and discovered uh, later was that that actually had been already uh, discovered and published in a device called the Lord Baltimore device in the late 1800s. But uh, nevertheless, at that moment, I only knew about the Russian uh, techniques, so I was able to acquire uh, a device that had those uh, waveforms in it and began to treat myself and uh, began to get better. But one of the things that was critical about the, my road to getting back to health again was that um, I knew a woman, I met a woman who was a, a nurse here in the Dallas area who had. Uh, lymphoma and she had been treated multiple times with chemotherapy and radiation at MD Anderson and they eventually told her, sorry, that's all we can do, go home. And she had gone to Mexico and had met Dr. Bob Vance who had uh, treated her and she came back home and she was completely clear from her malignancies and she sent me her pre and post treatment records so I could actually MD Anderson. And so I decided I would go down and see Dr. Vance and see how in the world they did that. And that was really one of the things that began my journey to this understanding of how things really work. So um, as I began to recognize the um, fact that the body had to have energy, the other big change in my paradigm was when I finally understood that the body is constantly wearing itself out and having to make new cells. So um, you get new cones in the macula of your eye every 48 hours. It's the most rapidly uh, changing part of the body. Um, the lining of the guts replaced every three days. The skin that you and I are sitting in today is only six weeks old. Your liver is eight weeks old, your nervous system's eight months old, etc. So One of the things I began to realize then is that chronic disease only occurs when you lose the ability to make new cells that work. I think that's significant enough, I'd like to say it again. Chronic disease only occurs when you lose the ability to make new cells that work. So, of course, we're we're wearing ourselves out and have to make new cells. And then, of course, we can have injuries or infections or other things that damage cells and we have to replace those.
0: Would you go as far to extend that, to not necessarily cells, but the subcellular components, like the organelles, like the mitochondria, which seems to be even more foundational?
1: Well, when you say that you must have a cell that works, that cell must contain functional mitochondria. Yeah. So, But the mitochondria are not going to work if the cell membranes don't work, et yeah. cetera. So, I mean, it's a total unit that you have to have working. It's sort of like you can have a brand new car, but if it doesn't have a transmission, even though you've got the rest of it there, it's not gonna work. You have to have the whole thing.
0: Yeah, but if you've got functioning, really healthy mitochondria, it's the this, this same strategies that uh, really activate that process would actually activate cell health, too. They kind of go hand in hand.
1: Yeah, Well, they do, and one of the things we'll talk about in a minute is that, the, that cells actually have four battery packs. Uh And the mitochondria is only one of those battery packs and then you want them all to be functional. Okay, we'll look forward to that. So the point is then that if you buy into the paradigm that chronic disease only occurs when you lose the ability to make new cells work, it leads you to the obvious question, well what's it take to make a new cell work? Well what you'll find is the characteristic of all chronic disease is inadequate voltage you don't have the 25 millivolts to run it, and or you don't have the 50 millivolts to make a new one. But then you also have to look at the things it takes to make a cell. So think about, you're living in Texas, a tornado comes through and blows your house to the ground and you have to build a new one. So you have to have everything it takes to make a house. So for example, people often come in with a sack full of nutrients and say, are these any good? I'd say, yeah, they will make new cells because you, you can't build a new house with doorknobs and bathroom tiles. You need doorknobs and bathroom tiles, but you can't build a new house with them. You have to have the whole thing. and So you have to be sure that you have everything it takes to make a cell. And then you have to deal with whatever toxins that are hanging around. So. Then we go back and begin to look at each of those pieces. Look at the voltage piece, look at the nutrition piece, look at the toxin piece. And then we can know how to make a new cell. Well, that leads us directly into what is the body's power pack, battery system, wiring system that uh, provides the voltage for everything to work. Well, it turns out that we have. Uh, four different battery uh, systems in the body that make cells work. Now the ones that, the biggest one and the one that's often overlooked is the muscle batteries. Our muscles are piezoelectric and what does that funny word mean? If you take a piece of quartz and you squeeze it with a pair of pliers, it emits electrons. So the concept of when you distort something and it causes it to emit electrons, that's called piezoelectricity. So when I move my muscle like the electrons because I'm distorting my muscles well fortunately while I'm doing that my muscles are rechargeable batteries so at the same time I'm emitting electrons I'm storing them so the way the body uh recharges its muscle battery pack is simply to moves it exercises so we are designed to keep our battery our main battery pack charged up our muscles are stacked one on top of each other in a very specific order like batteries in a flashlight to form a power pack so every organ in the body has its own battery pack which is a stack of muscle batteries and these muscle batteries are surrounded by fascia now fascia is that white glistening stuff you see when you carve the Thanksgiving turkey but the interesting thing about fascia is that it's a semiconductor so what in the world is a semiconductor well a semiconductor is an arrangement of molecules designed to move electrons at the speed of light, but only in one direction. So our, the stack of muscles is surrounded by a common stack of, or a common stocking, if you please, of fascia, which serves as the wire, the wire system for the body. And that carries the voltage from the uh, muscle battery inside of that out to the wire, and then it carries it to the appropriate organ. So again, every organ in the body has its own battery pack, and a stack of muscle batteries is what's been called an acupuncture meridian. So an acupuncture meridian is simply a stack of muscle batteries. Well, the muscle battery packs then um, go through individual teeth, and we'll come back and talk about that because it's one of the more important things about understanding chronic disease, but all of these muscle battery packs go through very specific teeth, And then they go to the cells. Now our cell membranes are made up of an interesting collection uh, or arrangement of particular fats. These fats are called phospholipids. The thing about a phospholipid is that you have a, a, a circle and two legs. The circle is an electron conductor and the legs are insulators. And they're stacked together like this so that you have two conductors separated by an insulator, which is the definition of a capacitor. So a capacitor is simply a small battery. The difference between a capacitor and a regular battery is when capacitor discharges, it, it discharges all of its charge, whereas a battery discharges slowly. Nevertheless, a cell membrane is a small battery, and it is continuously fed electrons from the muscle battery packs. Then we get to go inside the cells and we have another rechargeable battery system called ATP-AD. So, when this battery is charged up, uh, it has called ATP. When the battery is discharged, it's called ADP. So because it's a rechargeable battery system, we obviously have to have a battery charger inside the cell as well. We call that the Krebs cycle or the citric acid cycle. Now the citric acid cycle likes to run on fatty acids. So for every unit of fatty acid you put into the citric acid cycle, if oxygen is available, you get enough electrons to charge up 38 of those ATP batteries. But if oxygen is not available, for every unit of fatty acid you put into the citric acid cycle, you only get enough electrons to charge up two of those batteries. So um, when oxygen drops, then that battery system becomes very inefficient. It's like a car that goes from 38 miles a gallon to 2 miles a gallon. Then finally, you have DNA. Now, most of the time when you see a picture of DNA, you see it from the side, and you see it looks like you took a ladder and twisted it. But if you actually look at it from the top, it's got a hole in the top of it right in the center. And each circle of uh of the uh, dna is what's called golden mean and if we have time and need to we can go into that subject but any time you have something that's golden mean and expose it to scalar energy it will implode into that so scalar energy implodes into the center and becomes the power supply for our dna so we have our muscle battery packs we have our cell membrane battery pack we have our atp battery pack and we have uh dna is its own, has, has its own battery system as well. So all of these battery systems are necessary to be functional for the cell to work correctly.
0: Well, I thought did I was explain an- that well?
1: Yeah,
0: you well, did, then? but I thought, th- I thought there was another energy system which uh, I, I understand is structured water, water having the capacity to extract energy from sun, uh, specifically in the near-infrared range primarily, and store it as energy and then transfer it to cellular processes. So I'm wondering why that's left out of the yeah
1: yeah um, obviously uh, Pollock's work I think is what you're probably quoting uh, where we have structured water uh, particularly inside the cell membrane uh, that creates another system um, the reality well, I think, I think is it's too that
0: in, inter and intracellular and extracellular It's not so much inside the membrane because that's you know those are just that's just fat. Which does water? Water doesn't like to hang out there. too. Well, hard.
1: yeah. The inside the cell membrane, we have the uh, reticular formation, which actually uh, is a resistor, and it's wired to the capacitor. So it, the the cell membrane and the the uh, uh, reticular system form what's called a, a uh, uh, an impedance resistance uh um, uh unit which then interacts with the lc system or the impedance capacitance system of the rest of the body but when we start getting into these electronic terms i find people blaze over and so i tend not to talk too much about lc circuits and rc circuits
0: sure well but um, that's my understanding that especially the red blood cells uh they don't there's not enough energy that the heart produces when it pumps to, to transfer those cells through the capillaries. It just doesn't work. So they have to get their energy from other ways, and it's my understanding they do that through the structured water system.
1: Yeah, I think you're you're correct about that. And again, um, the dilemma. You know, uh, at what level do we carry this conversation forward without losing sure. too many people along the way?
0: Well, I, I think it's essential to what you're saying, too, is because part of your strategy is very similar to what I'm suggesting is that we, we need to engage in activities that charge up our system, and one of them is exposing our skin, a sufficient quantity of, of surface area of our skin, to the sunshine on, on a regular basis.
1: Well, I think you're correct about that because of particularly what uh, Stephanie Seneff talks about, where um, nothing really works without cholesterol sulfate. And so when you eat sulfate, uh, it exposes it to infrared light, it converts it to cholesterol sulfate. And the cholesterol sulfate is attached to uh, high molecular weight sugars, which then get uh, put inside the red blood cells and create the magnetic field or zeta potential around the red cell. And then they're t- attached to GAGs, which go into the endothelium, which creates another magnetic field. So if this is the endothelium lining the inside of your artery, and this is a red blood cell going by, it creates a magnetic drag between the two. The two that causes the endothelium to release nitric oxide, which then dilates the valve. So again, uh, it's essential to have that. Plus, um, as Senepus as pointed out very clearly, essentially all patients with malignancies are deficient in cholesterol sulfate, and when they are, even with convert, uh, uh, the cell won't use them uh, because it makes uh, toxins that are worse than uh, using the cytoplasm. And I think that's a whole other story. Um, so we were beginning to walk along this road about What's it take to make a new cell that works? Mm-hmm. And we kind of said, okay, we gotta have this voltage piece. And so, and then we have to have the nutrition piece, and then we have to deal with the toxins that damage cells as fast as we make them. So the when we start looking at low voltage, which is characteristic of chronic disease, one must ask the question, well, why won't that battery pack hold a charge? Because that's where you're gonna find the answer of why they got sick. Well, the first thing you have to think about is thyroid hormone because the thyroid hormone T3 controls the voltage of every cell membrane and T2 controls the voltage of the uh, ATP, of the mitochondria, I mean. So you have to have uh, T3 and, and T2 in order to make things work. So what I find is that basic to all chronic diseases that you have to be sure you get the thyroid piece right because if you don't then nothing else tends to work correctly. And of course, one of the problems is, uh, first of all, docs are trained to look at TSH and sometimes T4, but TSH and T4 could be normal, but if you don't have the cofactors it takes to convert T4 to T3, you're still hypothyroid at the cell level. Um, So then the next thing you have to think about is scars. If you put a scar, or that is the wire for a muscle battery pack. It drains off some of the voltage. And so scars can be significant. So for example, a physician that you and I both know had uh, open heart surgery with bypass. He came to see me one evening and I wasn't sure I that he was gonna get back out of my office. He looked terrible. But of course he had this big scar right down the center here. And so we simply treated the scar and sent him home with, with one of my electronic devices and the next day at 6 he called me and said, I want to thank you for seeing me yesterday, I'm actually going back to work in the morning. And and how
0: do you you treat the scar, with the lidocaine or procaine?
1: No, I find that the easiest and most reproducible way to do it is if you use uh, essential oils um, Hmm. and then put a magnetic field. of so course, I have my proprietary device called the biomodulator biotransducer. Just put the biotransducer over that until the, the, uh, you can feel the magnetic fields go away. Then that opens up the scar, and now the voltage goes through it. So it takes about three minutes and works great, and you don't have to stick anybody with a needle. So the point that I'm making is that scars are and can be significant. But the two most important things that take down voltage in a circuit are dental infections and emotions. Now, it turns out that each and every one of these acupuncture circuits go through very specific teeth. And so the teeth tend to act like a circuit breaker. So if you have an infection in a tooth, then it will lower the voltage and then eventually flip the voltage off in that circuit and now every organ that's powered by that circuit malfunctions. And then also, if you have emotions, emotions are stored in the body. So if you put a magnetic field in the center of conductivity, it simply blocks the flow of electrons. And so what we find is that perhaps one of the most important things that starts uh, chronic disease is actually emotions. So, one can identify these emotional magnetic fields in a variety of different ways. Uh, first of all, work by, uh, by Eileen McKusick and others have shown that we're all surrounded by this magnetic field that goes out about five feet and that five feet out or so is uh, birth and right up next to the body is today. And so emotions are sort of like you listen to an orchestra, but one of the instruments in the orchestra is out of tune. And so you notice that it's making a really weird sound. So you can actually come through that magnetic field around the person with a variety of different things and identify where these magnetic fields are. For example, one of the things McKusick taught us is you can take a tuning fork and, and and strike it and you'll hear it go and then as you move it through the field when it hits one of these areas of emotional distortions is pitch you can actually hear it if or you can put a pendulum right where you find it and you'll see the pendulum spins counterclockwise if there's an emotional distortion there spins clockwise if there isn't or you can use um, another magnetic field or some of the, I like to just do it. I can actually feel them with my hand as you go through that space. It's like you can all of a sudden feel a puff of air up against your hand. Nevertheless, the point is you find these magnetic fields and they are stored primarily in the teeth uh, that affects that circuit. So I believe the scenario that happens, and this is still in the theory form, but I, I really think this is what happens you have an emotional event, it gets, that, that distortion gets stored in the tooth in that circuit. That lowers the voltage to the uh, pump that's inside the tooth that normally pumps fluid from the inside of the tooth into the mouth to keep it from getting decay. As you shut the pump down, eventually you start getting decay. Then you get a filling. Then you get a bigger filling. Then you get a crown. Then eventually you get a root canal. And then eventually you get cancer. So because what happens is that progressively over time, you get less and less voltage in that circuit. And as voltage begins to drop significantly below the 25 millivolts, then things don't run correctly. And if you don't have 50 millivolts, you can't repair it. So when it wears out, now you get chronic disease. And of course, one of the things we can discuss, if we have the time, is that what you'll see is that malignancies occur when the polarity flips, uh, when it passes through zero. Uh, so the point is then that you'll find that you have, um, when you have, find a circuit that has low voltage, you almost always will find that there's either emotion and or infection in the corresponding tooth on that side of the body in that acupuncture circuit. How do you, how do you figure out that, yeah, that seems to be the correct thing? You simply have a person put their thumb and, and ring finger together and teach them how strong they are. They're more Yeah, or over or O-ring test. You can do other tests. You can do this, any sure. of the muscle tests you like, but I like this one. You do that and then they take two fingers and put it over the tooth that's in question and see if they're still strong. If they go weak, then you know you've got a, a circuit that's blocked there. And so then you under, begin to understand one of the main reasons that that particular circuit no longer can provide the voltage necessary to keep that organ system working.
0: So a big part of your your strategy is working with a really competent biological dentist who can assist you with implementing these strategies.
1: Yes, what I'm finding is there, there are two different issues. First of all, oftentimes you will see a person who has a low voltage in a circuit and the symptoms to go with it. And you measure the circuit, and it's low, and you go find that that uh, tooth is out. But for example, one of the things that helped me understand the, the effects of emotions was that I saw enough kids that were uh, under the age of 10 that had symptoms of heart, small intestine, and autonomic system, which is wisdom tooth. And yet their wisdom teeth hadn't come in yet. And all of their scan, beam scans, and everything are normal. So there had to be something else there that was taking the circuit out and what you you will find then is if you were looking for it you'll find that they've got emotions stored in that circuit and then when you go in and and erase the emotions all of a sudden this test goes back to normal and the power supply recharges and their symptoms go away
0: and how do you erase so perfectly how do you erase the emotions
1: with your device magnetic fields you okay yeah, because they're magnetic fields, you can erase them with a stronger magnetic field. So, um, so you know, I obviously have this device that I developed called a biomodulator, which has the ability to put out these waveforms that we talked about that'll transfer electrons. But it has an attachment that puts out scalar energy as well. And so, the easiest way to do this and to watch it happen and know when you've done it is let's assume that you. Um, take a, a pendulum and you go over the various points that traditionally they were known as chakra points and you just hold it over that. If the if the voltage in that circuit is correct, it will spin clockwise. If it's low, it will spin counterclockwise. So for example, let's say you check this spot, which is a sympathetic nervous system, and you check this spot, which is um, small intestine, and you check the teeth Five, which is autonomic system, heart and small intestine that leads you directly to the wisdom teeth. You go up the wisdom teeth and you find they fail the O-ring test. So now you know you've got a problem there. So what you do is you take the pendulum and just hold it over the lateral uh, ch- chakra, or what I call them bio terminals, and you'll see it spinning counterclockwise, and then you go put the magnetic field from the biotransducer up over the wisdom tooth, and just hold it there and pretty soon you'll see that thing quit spinning counterclockwise and start spinning clockwise and you know you fixed it. You can check all of the terminals and see that they're spinning correctly. You check the O-ring test and it's gone back to normal and the patient's symptoms gone away. So let me give you an example. Yesterday I saw one who was having significant hip pain. So the hips on the gallbladder circuit. So. We uh, checked her gallbladder teeth, which is the eye teeth, and she failed the O-ring test, but she's never had anything done to those teeth. So we simply uh, did what I described, the pendulum with it uh, going counterclockwise, put the magnetic field over there for the biotransducer until it spun clockwise, did it over all four teeth and corrected them. As that took about 10 minutes, all of the pain in her hip on and Pain is still gone today, and my prediction is it's now gone for good. So it's a quick and easy way to know when you've corrected it. Now,
0: All right. well, if she well, had had a we, we, we don't have a, a lot of time left, so I want to make sure we cover some broader issues so people can put this in context. And, and because a lot of the details are in your book, some of them aren't, but you know, for the most part, you review it, and then healing is voltage. So. I'm wondering if you personally use these strategies, because you shared your story initially and you were pretty debilitated. I mean, you couldn't practice medicine. So uh, how long did it take you to learn this and then what, and what was your journey back towards health where you have recovered and do you believe you fully recovered at this point?
1: Well, I'm 77 years old as of June and uh, despite what my children say, I think my mental faculties are back. Um, So, um, and I, you know, I come to work every day. So I think it works Um, after spending seven years and 16 hours a day to go into where I work every day. Okay. Now, um, obviously, I, you know, each year that goes by, the neat thing about my job, and I think you'll agree with your job, is that people are always coming and teaching us stuff. Oh, gosh. Yes. I'm passionate about learning. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously what, the way I deal with patients today is different than it was mm-hmm. last year. It will be different most likely next year because people like you keep teaching me things. But uh, the point is that um, the, um, the majority of people who come see me are people that have been sick for 10, mm-hmm. 15 years of resolution. And so what I find is that this corrects it.
0: So you're you're not you're basically doing uh, essentially natural medicine at this point. You're not. Are you still doing ophthalmology?
1: Well, you see, the, the the rules I've just described to you apply to macular degeneration and apply to glaucoma, and those are the things that I do in ophthalmology. I don't do general ophthalmology. I just treat macular degeneration and glaucoma. Okay. The interesting thing, know is that the macula is on the stomach meridian. Hmm. So the reason people get macular degeneration is that they they lose the 50 millivolts they need to make new cells every 48 hours. And so as those cells wear out, they can't get replaced, and guess what, you've got macular degeneration. So what do you have to do? You have to figure out why the power supply in the stomach gradient doesn't have the 50 millivolts to keep making new cells. And you have to have all of the materials it takes to make cells. And by the way, nerve cells are 50% cholesterol by weight. So it's almost impossible to reverse macular degeneration of a person's on statin drugs uh, because you obviously need the cholesterol to do it. So the point is that um, when um, the ma- and amount like, oxygen- and, and,
0: and we have 25% of Americans over 40 on statin drugs, and the elderly, 50, 60, 70, the higher you go up, the more likely, so I maybe mean, half of them, poor community macular degeneration, are statins.
1: Yeah, which is very sad, isn't it?
0: No, sad is a very serious understatement. (laughs) It's pathetic, it's tragic. You know, it's just, it's reprehensible. Negligence. Or ignorance might be a a better term.
1: So then glaucoma is a whole different subject because it's on a different power supply. The optic nerve's on the um, liver-gallbladder circuit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I've been uh, you know, in ophthalmology over 50 years. In the beginning of, opth- of my ophthalmic career, we never had the terms low-pressure glaucoma. Mm-hmm. And then over time, we started seeing people who had glaucoma-looking visual field loss, but their pressures were normal, so somebody coined this term low-pressure glaucoma. Well, it has nothing to do with glaucoma at all if you think that the word glaucoma means high-pressure in the eye, the optic nerve replaces itself every eight months, if it has the 50 millivolts to do it. But what you will find in every glaucoma patient is that the polarity in the liver meridian has dropped not only down to zero, but past zero, so that it's electron stealer instead of electron donor. So if you're gonna fix glaucoma, you have to address the liver gallbladder circuit, and then the part of glaucoma is on the sympathetic system, because the sympathetic controls lymphatics, and the outflow channel of the eye is part of the lymphatic system, not part of the venous system. So, to fix glaucoma, you look at both the sympathetic-parasympathetic and figure out why that's balanced, and then you fix the liver-gallbladder circuit, and now you… Uh, so, so again, for the,
0: for the typical person who comes in to you with glaucoma or macular degeneration, which are, you, sounds like are two of your biggest challenges—not challenges, but complaints that people visit you with. What is the strategy? Not the strategy, but what is a, a typical course? I mean, it sounds like you can reverse it relatively rapidly, are very consistent with it. So, what is your success rate and, and timing on improving improvement of those conditions?
1: Well, the macula is neat because it replaces itself every 48 hours, so you're going to see within three or four days if you've done anything. And you can measure that both in the measuring the acuity, and you can measure the uh, OCT scan, which you can actually look at anatomical changes, etc. Palcoma is harder because it takes eight months to replace the optic nerve, and so it's a lot longer time before you can see what you've done. In glaucoma, you're much more likely to stabilize the disease than you are to reverse it, and the reason is this. Everything I've been talking about is a new cell, but a new cell can't push a scar out of the way,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that's true whether you're talking about the macula, whether you're talking about the optic nerve. Once it's scarred, you're done. Mm.
0: Even even with the essential oils and the biomodulator?
1: Or you can't get well, the essential can oils back there? Well, you, the oils don't have to go there. When you put oils on the body, it's the frequency of the oils that go up the semiconductor of the fascia that has the effect. Okay. It's a, it's a, a, it's a frequency effect, not a an actual chemical biochemical effect. Okay. But the point is that the the part that's that seems to be missing in traditional ophthalmic training that I find is that to uh, that. Macular degeneration starts out as the inability to make cells because you don't have voltage to do it. But one of the things you have to understand is the amount of oxygen that will dissolve in a liquid is dictated by the voltage of the liquid. So if I take this cup of water and I put a tube in it and I start bubbling oxygen in here, the amount of oxygen that will dissolve in here is dictated by the voltage. So if I raise the voltage, more oxygen goes into... Lower the voltage, the oxygen comes out of solution. So, as, as the voltage in the stomach meridian continues to drop, for whatever reason, then you don't have the 50 millivolts to make new cells. And then as the voltage drops more, the oxygen drops more. And in the body you have hypoxia, lack of oxygen. The body going to make new little blood vessels trying to bring more oxygen in. We call that neovascularization, of course. So, as you switch from what we call dry to wet macular degeneration, you're simply discussing the fact that the areas become more so hypoxic that you got neovascularization. And then those new little blood vessels begin to bleed, and when they bleed into the macula, they cause scarring. So what you want to do is to the traditional approach is you inject a drug that clamps down those neovascular vessels so they don't bleed. Yeah, but you haven't solved the problem, which is hypoxia.
0: Or, or they use laser, have- laser therapy to... to- block them
1: right? Well years ago we, we tried but we had to be sure to do it out away from the macula. Sure. It's the laser got your vision anyway so the laser had too much side effects acquired scarring Okay, but these drugs will shut down the vessels so they don't bleed but then you have to do it again in six weeks every six weeks for the rest of your life that's the current <laughs> therapy. So the problem is you got to fix the hypoxia so how do you fix the hypoxia? You gotta fix the voltage. And that's I think is the missing link. So raise the voltage by raising the voltage in the clean, I mean, in the stomach. Now the stimuli, the, then the oxygen comes in, that's the stimulus for the blunt, The neovascularization goes away. That's how you address macular degeneration. And so
0: thank you for reviewing that. And what you're, the, if you could just comment on the success rate and if it's dependent upon how severe the, uh, the case is, especially with macular degeneration, which is the most common cause of blindness in the country. So, I mean, if, it sounds like if there's significant scarring that your, your hands are tied and there's, there's a limit to what you can get improvement, but
1: what, what, why don't you just provide us with your success rates? Well, the, if you have dry macular degeneration and generally don't have much scarring with that, then for the majority of those you can get their vision uh generally back uh, uh within the reading range uh, whereas if you if they have gotten over into the wet area then it's a a spectrum between a little bit of scarring to so much scarring that there's no hope at all and so it's hard to to create absolute statistics sure. when particularly when you have a spectrum of things the point is that if I see a person that has wet macular degeneration, I very clearly tell them, look, our goal isn't necessarily to make you see better, it's to try to save what you've got now. Mm-hmm. Because if we can raise the oxygen by raising the voltage and stop the stimulus to neovascularization, then you won't continue to lose vision. Okay, but it. if we don't, sure. yeah, that's what I was looking that. for.
0: Yeah, makes sense. So, really good statistics. So dry. The majority of people with dry macular degeneration will get better using your techniques. And now you're using the biomodulator as a, uh, a, a detection device, diagnostic tool, and a therapeutic tool also. Had you used the Skinner device before, prior to developing the biomodulator?
1: Yeah, the, the Russian Skinner device was uh, developed by uh, a chap named Karazov in Russia. Kharazov's family all got uh, food poisoning, and many of them died. And he was felt mad because he couldn't save them. And eventually, he developed this waveform that he devised, believe, and he put it in this device called the Skanar. And um, so, uh, and it was a good device. Um, when I was sick, I ran across this device, and I called the. Uh, Dr. Uh, Frost, who was um, a Russian lady pediatrician who had married a Brit named Frost and lived in London. I called her and said, hey, I'm interested in your device, and she said, I'm teaching a course in three days in San Francisco, and I said, sign me up. Mm -hmm. So I went and started using that device, and it had uh, a lot of success with it, but it had some disadvantages, one of which was it took me four hours to teach people how to push the buttons just to get started with it. Well, I felt that over time I had figured out better frequency sets than the Russian ones. And then there was a bunch of political and whatever economic things that I won't go through, but eventually uh, the people that manufactured that device, uh, there was a a parting of the ways. And so to work with you to extend the technology, and so we began to do so, and that was the uh, development of the biomodulator. So, uh, the biomodulator, I, when I designed it, I, want, I had a, two particular goals. One is to make it easier to use. Second was to make it less expensive to purchase. And so it is. Right. Uh, but it puts out these same proximate signals that was put out in the Lord Baltimore device in the 1800s, which is the, which is you know the bio the bi the biomodulator and the scanner are are PEMF devices that are microcurrent.
0: Now, they're, they're non-native, but they seem to be healing. And it's not all PEMF is bad. And the right frequencies and the right dosages is fine. And I'm wondering if you've ever explored the Nest Health systems, which seems to be a radically improved update from um, UK and Australia. Uh, I think Peter, Peter Marshall, Peter forgot his last name, is the guy that developed in Harry Massey for Ness Health. And have you looked at that at all?
1: Well, I knew um, knew uh, Mr. Massey 20 years ago. I haven't spoken with him in 20 years or so. At the time, he was working with these devices that use random number generators. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bunch of those, the QXCI, the SCEO, Harry's device—I've forgotten what he called it then. What he calls his new one. There are a variety of these. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've torn those apart and looked at what's in them, and basically, they're software that drive a random number generator. So you take a any uh, uh, Excel spreadsheet or database and just list whatever you want list all the illnesses, list all the minerals, list all of the vitamins, whatever and when you hit go, it simply goes and randomly puts a number beside each of those and then sorts them and says this is what your problem is. Well um, the, the problem with most of the, in fact essentially all of those is you never get the same result twice and they try to explain it away saying well it's Heisenberg's principle, uh, uh, uncertainty principle. I think that's all nonsense. They're just random number devices. So um, so again, I don't know what Harry's current device is, but I know his old one was that.
0: Okay. All right, yeah, I've seen, uh, there's actually seems to be quite a bit of scientific support behind uh, that device and uh, a lot of training that goes with it too, but it's a simplified version of the Skanar, and a lot of the Skanar therapists seem to have switched over to using that one. But anyway, you, you're getting profound improvements uh, with your current strategy. And I was impressed with the, uh, it's not just, you know, it sounds somewhat uh, esoteric uh, where you're measuring uh, with this device and using these essential oils, but actually you integrate a, a whole solid set of pragmatic recommendations with respect to diet and essential fatty acids and uh, grounding and exercise so it's it's the whole combination it's just not this magic device
1: exactly and that's why i spend so much time teaching is that you know people think well i can buy this device take it out of the box and put it here and i'm well that's not the way it works um the um again you have to to do everything it takes to make new cells at work so again basic is the voltage piece if you don't do that and then you can eat a perfect diet take perfect nutrition but if you're just utilize it you're still starving to death you have to have the voltage you have to have the nutrition you have to deal with the toxins and so now, it's you have to do all of those
0: sure now with respect to improving the macula and fatty acids do you find that the animal-based omega-3 products are useful and I, I think I you recommend phytoplankton Uh, and as a source of that
1: right well the um, the substances that are basic to health for both sea creatures and us land-based creatures are humic acids Mm -hmm. Uh, humic acids are a large collection of various organic acids that are constantly changing so that it's very difficult for the biochemist to exactly describe what they are because they're always changing. But one of those uh, humic acids is called fulvic acid, F U L V I C. And so, uh, when you, with its included fulvic, you have every known vitamin, every known mineral, every known amino acid, and all balanced by nature. Now, for the sea creatures, the source of humic is marine phytoplankton. The plankton uh, then provide the uh, the necessary humic for all of the, the entire uh, chain of creatures in the ocean. Us land-based creatures uh, are supposed to get it from our food and our farming practices but that hasn't worked out because of the way the farmers work. So if you think about a leaf that's on a tree or on a plant, um, that leaf has voltage and thus oxygen and the fungal spores that are on it will be suppressed. But when that leaf dies uh, because it's wintertime and it falls off, the voltage goes away and thus the oxygen drops and that's the switch that tells the fungus to wake up and fungus does what fungus is supposed to do and that's to turn organic material into humic acids so that's the process that should happen and then the the farmland gets filled with humic acids so next time we plant seeds then the humic is there to feed the new seeds and they grow and you have the cycle continues unfortunately the farmers uh, first of all use uh, fungicides and pesticides to kill uh, the fungus and so the leaf drops off and doesn't really decay and pretty soon the soil becomes depleted in the humic acids And so so the seeds won't grow, so the farmer uses um, fertilizers to make it Uh grow. that plant now is deficient in humic acid. So when we eat it, we're deficient in humic acid, so it doesn't work. So we we lose a critical portion of our vitamin, mineral, amino acid. And fulvic acid is a primary control of cell membranes because it's one of the few substances that can be either plus or minus, as it needs to be, only (coughs) hydrogen is the other thing that can do that. So, so the important thing is then that we need that, just as all living creatures and and things do. And so fortunately for us, there are some deposits around the world where decaying organic material was wet long enough not to turn into coal, and that can be mined as, and it has the humic acids, so that those are available to us now as a uh, supplement. And so when we take uh, that, um, it provides the things we need. And of course, there's research coming out now that shows not only does it correct uh, 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 mineral deficiencies, but it begins to help with the way our intestinal cells interlock, et cetera. So uh, also, fulvic is a great uh, way to get rid of heavy metals because the fulvic will go inside the cell, grab the metal, pull it out, Handed off to the humic, which then takes it out of the body. Whereas, you know, IV chelation, the chelating materials can only get to extracellular things because they won't go inside the cells where yeah. almost all the metals reside. So, so therefore, we got humic.
0: Yeah, and then you've got recommendations in your book with specific brands and such. So, I'm wondering too, this is the last question about astaxanthin, which is the one of the most potent antioxidants out there, certainly the most potent carotenoid. Um, and it's been recommended and used in helping uh, treat and prevent macrodegeneration. degeneration. I'm wondering if you have any experience or comments on that.
1: Well, I, th- I think more in terms of electron donors, electron stealers. Yeah. Because an, an antioxidant, by definition, yeah. is an electron, electron donor. donor. Yeah. I like to cha- think of an antioxidant as a charitable organization. It has extra electrons, and they'll give them to anybody who wants them. Mm-hmm. So. Whether you use that particular one or a variety of others I don't think makes a whole lot of difference. It's all about the fact that our our electrical system is like our bank account. It's how many deposits of electrons do we make versus how many checks do we write, how much are we spending and that's just one of the uh, possible Electron donors that we can yeah, take. I, th- I
0: think part of the reason why it's been noted to work so well is because once it something like vitamin C, it donates its electron and then it's in its re- its uh, oxidized form and it doesn't work. Whereas astaxanthin has the opportunity to donate a dozen or two dozen times, so it's a lot. It's active a lot longer and more, more sustainable. Plus, it penetrates better into the tissues.
1: Well, again, I, you know, I'm not saying that there's anything negative about it. It yeah. obviously yeah. has many positive things. Yeah. But in but the big scheme treat. of things,
0: right? You got to treat the cause.
1: Well, and you have to think of it. What you, I, what I think people need to do, and it takes a while to do it, is quit thinking in terms of biochemistry. Start their thinking like an electrician. And or, as, physics, as you, or physics. Or physics. <laughs> and physics. Same, same basic thing. So didn't you start thinking in terms of electron uh, balance and the availability of energy, and we call that energy electrons, there's a whole other subject. Available of the energy. Do you have enough energy to make it work or not?
0: Okay. Well, we can go on and on for hours and hours. You are a wealth of information and it was a real pleasure to dialogue with you today and I'm looking forward to your presentation, Orlando. And if you've enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Tenneth, then I would welcome and encourage you to join us in Orlando in November. As I said earlier, we'll have a link to that event down here, so you'll be able to connect with both of us and hear a lot of other brilliant clinicians down there that are gonna give you some really practical insights that is not conventional medicine, that is not what you've been told in the media that's going to fix your problem, which is some type of drug or surgery that can truly address the foundational cause of disease. So uh, pre- appreciate your time with us and uh, and uh, look forward to connecting with you personally in Orlando.
1: Well, thank you very much. And if, if for people are interested in more in this subject, of course, I have a series of books called Healing is Voltage and my uh, clinic uh, is in Dallas area and uh, and what's your we website for that? Uh, tenetinstitute.com
0: okay that's could you spell that t e n n e t
1: right yeah t e n n a n t and then the word institute. Oh, A-N-T,
0: Sorry. institute institute.com .com yep yeah. okay so that you get there and if you wanted if you've got if you're a person with some of these diseases that dr tenet specializes in especially the glaucoma and the macular degeneration, it would be worth a visit to Dallas, Texas. Uh, And uh, convenient, but it's a major hub for a lot of airlines, so it's easy to get to. All right, so thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Dr. McCullough, and be well.